Hello, my name is John Smetanka, and the name of our program is With Respect. Today's guest on With Respect is Joey Andrews. Uh, Joey is the Democratic candidate for uh, election to the state of Michigan's House of Representatives, the 38th District. We'll be talking to him about his background, where he came from, what his ideas are, and you know what, what he would do if he was elected. Joey Andrews, With Respect. Joey, how are you today? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm fantastic. Uh, couldn't be better. So where are you from originally? Um, so I grew up in southwest Michigan. I've lived here my whole life. I, I tell everybody that if uh, you look at uh, every immigration wave from Germany that came to southwest Michigan, you'll find a great-grandparent of mine of some flavor <laughs> <laughs> coming over. Um, we've My family's been here for about 150 years, so... Um, it, we go we go way back in the area. Um, I live in St. Joseph currently. I've lived there for about 21 years. Uh, my dad's family was from Dwajak, and my mom's from Decatur. So, kind of really encapsulates the whole region. Good. Uh, tell me about where you, where you uh, where'd you go to school? What uh, uh, what were you interested in? What uh, what kind of jobs have you had? Sure. Yeah. Uh, so I graduated from high school at uh, Lake Michigan Catholic here in St. Joe back in 2006. Uh, went to undergrad at uh, Carson Newman University in East Tennessee, uh, studied history and music while I was there, uh, double majored, and then went to law school, uh, which is exactly what you do with those degrees. And I uh, went to law school at Wayne State in Detroit, uh, graduated from there in 2013, um, came back home and passed the bar the following year. And uh, since then, um, I the, the t at the time I graduated, um, law jobs were not in high supply, so I, uh, I practiced a little bit of law, but I spent most of my time trying to help uh, pull my parents' small business out of the recession. Mm -hmm. uh, they owned quick lubes and car washes, which was an industry that was particularly hard hit during that period. Mm -hmm. So I put a lot of uh, what I had just learned to work and helped them restructure and rebuild and um, spent about five years doing that. Um, I very briefly ran a uh, solar installation company that some friends and I started locally uh, before uh, running for state house the first time in 2018, uh, after which I uh, spent a cycle working for the Democratic Party on the Biden-Peters campaign, and most recently uh, working for the Michigan AFL-CIO uh, as a policy analyst and um, also doing some labor organizing. Did that take you out of the area? Uh, I'm, I'm just curious because uh, uh, I think the the, um, the unions are, are headquartered in Lansing or in Detroit, aren't they? 
they are, but uh, a lot of what I do, you can do from most anywhere. Yeah. Um, I do a lot of work on uh, policy, a policy book that uh, the AFL has been developing and also working on municipal policies. So a lot of that you can do from anywhere you have Internet access. Sure. Um, you know, it does it does bring me up to Lansing now and again, um, just for you know being in person once in a while. But uh, most of it uh, has been you know West Michigan based, and uh, I've kind of been uh, uh, ears on the ground for them for what's happening in um, you know this part of the state, which is often quite different than what happens in Lansing or in the east part of the state. Yeah, you're right, absolutely right. Uh, when I was running, I thought I, I decided, I guess from uh, experience there are really four or five states in Michigan. One is the Detroit area, another is the Upper Peninsula, which is separate, and then there is the northern part of the Lower Peninsula, and then there is the central and western part uh, focused in Grand Rapids and Lansing. And it's just, they're really, their interests are different, their their uh, economies are different. Uh, uh, anyway, it's just interesting. Yeah, so, I think that's absolutely true. Well, you know, in fact, I was talking to one legislator some years ago who was from uh, Macomb County, and, and I said, well, you know, you, you guys from Detroit. And he said, I'm not from Detroit. I don't, we don't part of Detroit. And I said, but that's how you're perceived. And he said, well, you know, that's right. When I first got up to Lansing, they kept telling me you're from Detroit. And I said, no, no, no. <laughs> but but it's, it is interesting how media markets and geography uh, can make a difference. So... Um, what got you to run for office? Now, you've done it, this is your second time, and and yep. I would tease you about uh, didn't you learn enough the first time, but I did the same thing, so I can't uh, I can't hold that, that against you. So why? why? Why now, going from the policy side, the, the behind-the-scenes kind of person, to running so yourself? I, I think the main thing for me both times that I ran is that um, where I live on the lakeshore here in southwest Michigan, um, th these communities rarely have a voice in Lansing. And one of the things that we're seeing is that especially since the recession, the local economies here have uh, ebbed further and further towards tourist and service-based economies. Mm -hmm. And it's not always to the benefit of people who actually live here year-round. And as somebody who does live here year-round, plans to raise a family here, ideally retire here, uh, and has friends and family members who are in various states of wanting to raise a family and retire here, mm -hmm. um, it's, we're starting to recognize that if we don't start advocating for the kind of community we want to see here, decisions are going to get made for us, and we're going to lose a lot of what makes this place uh, such a great place to live. So for me, running was about trying to be that voice for my community and to help, you know, pass the sorts of laws and advocate for the kinds of policies that'll let us, uh, you know, continue to have a fighting chance and, uh, you know, be able to live and retire and raise our families here. Let's talk about some of the areas that are of specific interest to you. And and, uh, and what would they be? You've talked about working with the FLCIO, but um, there's many aspects to uh, those things that they are concerned about. And but what about you? What are the areas that you are most concerned about? 
Yeah, so um, building a sustainable economy, especially locally, is one of my top priorities. Uh, like I said, the, the tourism and service-based economy has become a, an increasingly large part of uh, what you know we see in this lakeshore region. But those jobs don't always create the most stability. Um, they're very feast and famine you know, during the on-season versus the off-season. Mm -hmm. And to me, building a sustainable economy runs straight through the skilled trades. Um, you know, a lot of the trades jobs right now, they're high, they're high in demand, they're good paying jobs. Um, the, you know, the union programs often you know, have very good starting pay for apprentices plus uh, health care. And you end up with a pension once you get through your apprenticeship. And these are, you know, the jobs that built the middle class, not just in Michigan, but around the country. And we have so much development that goes on locally, you know, building hotels and businesses and redeveloping our downtowns. But so often we outsource that labor and it comes in from South Bend or it comes in from Kalamazoo or Grand Rapids. And those dollars leave our community when, you know, those workers go home. So uh, my feeling is if we can invest in skilled trades programs, both in our schools, but also, you know, bringing in programs like the AFL's Workforce Development Institute, to get people into the trades, um, you know, more concentratedly, uh, we can have a more sustainable local economy. We can have the people who live here building and rebuilding their communities, and you know, I think create something that's a little more durable. You know, it's interesting because the um, we had at one time a strong industrial base here in southwestern Michigan, and now we don't seem to have such. We have yeah. businesses, we have commercial, but we don't have the same industrial base uh, when we had auto specialties and and Clark equipment and uh, and whatnot. Uh, we don't have that. Yeah. Is that the kind of job you talk about bringing back? So, you know, the manufacturing jobs obviously took a huge hit during the recession. And, I, you know, I've, I've heard a lot of especially politicians claim, you know, we need to bring back the manufacturing jobs. Mm -hmm. That'd be great, but I don't see that as something that we can do in the short term. Um, you know, a lot of those factories closed, and they closed, you know, for good. They, they took their equipment out. The buildings are in various states of disrepair. And if you want to bring manufacturing back, you're talking about rebuilding from the ground up. Um, I, you know, again, it'd be great if we could get some manufacturing back, but I think there is enough development and growth happening in Southwest Michigan that um, just, you know, training people to become electricians, carpenters, bricklayers, masons, you know, this whole variety of skilled trades, building trades um, is something that's in such high demand here that to me, that's the, you know, the immediate path that I see if we can get young people into those programs. One, they don't end up having to leave the area to go to college, which is a huge problem here. Um, they can, you know, they can stay, not take on debt, um, you know, start building the, both the region and their, you know, their futures here. Um, and it's something that is immediate. Yeah, and, and uh, we do have a die cast industry, which apparently is um, one of the uh, areas that uh, uh, we can boast about. We have a number of die cast companies, but I keep seeing uh, signs around. Uh, I know one particular one in, in St. Joe Township uh, has had 10, 15, 20 signs all over. It's like, a, it's like Christmas uh, with signs of working, we're hiring, we're hiring. What's, why is it that we, and what can we do about changing that, that we aren't finding workers here? I really think a lot of it starts in the schools. Um, I know when I was in high school, there was always the impression that 
um, you were you were going to go to college, and if you didn't go to college, then it indicated that you had failed in mm -hmm. some respect. Mm -hmm. And I think we basically instilled in a lot of people, my generation and younger, that success meant going to college. And what that means is now we have a shortage of people to work in these trades jobs like die casting uh, because they were never exposed to it in school. They were told that it was not good work um, that, you know, was in some way beneath them. And now even as they're, you know, people my age are looking for jobs, um, it's hard to overcome that psychological barrier when you've been told this is beneath you. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think a lot of them don't realize how good paying these jobs are, how good the benefits can be. Um, I know just, you know, kind of anecdotally knocking doors, I'll talk to parents who will tell me, you know, my son's looking for a job, he can't find a job. And I'll say, well, you know, there's all these companies hiring like that, or there's these union apprenticeships that are open in all of these different, you know, trades unions that they could get into locally. And the mother is like, I had no idea that any of that was available, mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, it's a lot of this starts in the schools, we need we need to expand the school counselors so that the student to counselor ratio is less extreme because the counselors are really the ones where a lot of this starts. You know, they're the ones who help get kids on what path they're going to follow when they get out of school. And with the student ratios being so high, it's really hard to build individual plans. And so a lot of it defaults to, you know, which college will you go to as opposed to is college even right for you? Um, so, I, you know, and if we invest in these trades programs and expose kids to the trades at a younger age, let them find out that, hey, maybe you're pretty good with a wrench, you know, maybe, um, you know, expose them to machine shop and, you know, things like that. And you might find that, I think you will find, that a lot of kids really enjoy working with their hands that way. And if you show them that this is something they can do and it's a good way of life and you make good money doing it, um, I think that helps to really bridge the gap and break down uh, some of the, you know, kind of negative uh, social stigmas that we've created over the years uh, towards a lot of these jobs. It's interesting. My, my mother and her sisters were all teachers in the Chicago public school system many, many years ago before either one of you, before even uh, I was born, which is Abraham Lincoln's time. Um, but one of the things that my mother kept repeating and her sisters uh, supported it is that uh, we place we, we place too much emphasis on going to college as the stepping stone to greatness. And as you say, just as exactly what you said, that the um, it it is people are going to college simply because they their parents or they think it's the way to uh, success. When in fact, those things which the parents and the the, the person the, the young person could be, you know, ju judging success by whether it's income or productivity or uh, an interesting career, it it it's not it's not uh, it was not available. So yeah. this this is a, a good point that I was just going to reinforce because I've I've heard that from my family for for many many years. So now, having said that, do you have specific things that you can do? And I will tell you what, we're going to take a break in just a second. And when we come back, I'm going to talk about what it is that, you know, a specific, some specific programs that you would like to see maybe, you know, getting involved in in your first uh, year as uh, a state representative, okay? Sure. This, this is John Smetanka, Run With Respect, and we're talking to Joey Andrews, who is uh, the Democratic candidate for the third, eight, 38th uh, District of the State of Michigan uh, House of Representatives.
And this election is coming up uh, in November, and we'll see how it all turns out. This is John Smetank on With Respect, and we'll be right back. Democratic candidate for the position of 38th State House District uh, for the state of Michigan. So, uh, Joey, here's here's the here's the thing. We hear a lot from politicians who promise everything or every issue is the most important, uh, and I'm going to change it all. And and you people sit back and say, wait a minute, how can you do all that? Uh, are you some kind of a Superman or a, a magician? And so that's the first thing. But is, is there some tangible programs that you could say, all right, our state can go off and can do thus, which will improve this, just what you talked about, which is the uh, education, the bringing of the trades and uh, interest in the trades uh, into schools? Yeah, and I, you know, I fully agree with that sentiment. I think that um, too often when people are running for office, they get wrapped up in, you know, very uh, large scale, big picture, you know, things that need improvements. And one of the things I like about local offices like, you know, state representative is that you get to dig into some very specific local issues where you can actually genuinely make some difference. And I think when it comes to, you know, getting these trades programs going, I mean, a lot of it is as simple as allocating money into the education budget to fund CTE programs in schools and train teachers for those programs. Um, Talking to a lot of uh, local teachers and uh, faculty at some of the high schools here, um, a lot of them identified to me that they would like to invest in expanding their CTE programs. But one of the issues they have is teachers who are trained to teach those subjects. Um, and so that right there is something that I think we can we can take a look at at the state and say, okay, how can we identify people who maybe already have experience in these programs and, you know, get them certified to teach in the local high schools? Um, I mean, who better to teach kids the trades than people who have done it their whole lives and are, you know, now in the process of retiring from the trades? Mm-hmm. Um, in particular, because we're seeing this, um, this problem kind of uh, unfold where, as um, the older generation is retiring from the trades and the younger generation isn't entering, we're starting to lose uh, a whole you know, uh, lifetime of experience and not just their lifetime, but you know, somebody taught them this trade. And a lot of times there's you know, this sort of unbroken chain of uh, master to apprentice in the trades that is being broken as people are retiring without new people coming in. So. And we get some of these, you know, these folks who are retiring to come in, teach a class a couple days a week and pass on and impart some of that hard-earned knowledge. 
Um, I think, you know, that right there helps to address a big part of what's preventing some of these schools from putting these programs together. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think, you know, aside from legislating, one of the roles of an elected official is facilitating relationships. And I think we can do a, a great deal of good by bringing in, you know, some of the union leadership in the area, reintroducing them to school leadership and helping to build those connections too. you know, if you have a career day, bring in the, you know, the training managers from some of these unions, let them talk to the kids, let them explain what an apprenticeship looks like, you know, Um, and that's something that you don't have to pass a law to do. (laughs) We just, you know, we just need to facilitate these relationships. Um, And so, you know, I think there's some really simple things that we can just start off addressing. We just have to demonstrate the will to do it. Other than this particular issue, which I, uh, you've, you've articulated very well, both the problem and, and potential solutions, are there other issues which um, you think that you should be, want to be, are going to have an impact on uh, that affect the state in your district? Yeah, so um, housing is a big issue uh, along the lakeshore. Um, obviously, like the housing prices here, uh, I've seen some recent studies that say that housing prices along um, Lake Michigan and Southwest Michigan have risen something like 20% faster than the state average, uh, which itself is rising faster than the national average. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that is putting a real squeeze on people um, who are, you know, just trying to live here. Um, Mm -hmm. And part of the issue there is it's, I think, a two-pronged thing. Uh, One is that we just aren't building enough workforce housing. Um, You know, when we talk about affordable housing, a lot of people instantly think of like Section 8 housing, but I mean, the reality is if, if you're just trying to find a 1500 square foot, you know, two bedroom, one bathroom house, there are none. Mm-hmm. Um, and we need to build those sorts of houses if the people who work uh, locally, you know, in our service economy are going to live here. Uh, but then on the uh, on the second prong, the short term rental vacation rental industry has just run rampant through our region. And you've got a lot of out of state developers, out of state real estate conglomerates just gobbling up property that ordinarily would be perfect for a a young family, um, you know, recent graduates to start out in. And they've turned them into basically, um, you know, little hotels that skirt hotel regulations and lodging taxes. So one of the things that I'm really interested in working on is providing a good toolbox of regulations to our local communities and keeping control over the vacation rental industry in our local communities. Uh, I'm sure you're aware there's a bill in the Michigan Senate right now that would basically remove most of the local control, uh, make it so that every municipality has to allow at least, uh, I think it's 30% of their housing stock to be available um, for short-term rentals. Mm. For most of our communities here, that would be close to a death blow. Um, a lot of the communities here are already, New Buffalo, South Haven in particular, are already seeing uh, residency rates decline, which is declining um, school population because families are leaving. And it's, um, it's sort of, it just starts this kind of death spiral in these cities um, where the cost of local services and maintenance starts to shoot up and residents are shooting down. <laughs> so it's a, it's a significant problem. And uh, my feeling is we need to keep the control of this local, provide regulations um, to the municipalities that they can use as they see fit to kind of create something that works for them. Because, you know, we we need some amount of these. Again, tourism is a big part of our economy. But but if it runs out of control, you risk destroying a lot of what makes this place a great place to live and visit. 
So, you know, striking that balance is uh, something that is a, a really big priority of mine and something I hope we can get to work on right away because it's, I think, one of the most pressing issues uh, in this whole region. Uh, any other issues? Um, uh, obviously, uh, reproductive rights is a huge issue this year. Uh, you know, I'm hopeful that Proposal 3 will pass, but uh, repealing the abortion ban is uh, something that I hope we'll be able to do right away. Uh, that's, I think, on the top of a lot of people's minds this year, at least from what we're hearing. Uh, and then, of course, uh, protecting the shoreline uh, is, a, is a significant issue for our district as well. Uh, we, you know, we saw a lot of lakeshore erosion with rising water levels over the last few years. Um, the, you know, the riverways and the dunes here are uh, a big part of the draw to uh, the place that we live. And so, you know, working on preservation of our natural resources uh, is, a, is a very big issue for me as well. Now, here's a, here's a more difficult question, and I'm, I hope that um, uh, I, I ask this, I will be asking this of, uh, of all the candidates. Uh, one, of the, one of the problems that people, real people, uh, out in, who have got to choose who they're going to vote for have is, well, you know, they all make promises. They're going to do this, they're going to do that, but there's no accountability. Uh, how do we judge whether a politician become a, who has become uh, a government official is accountable for their actions. What, so if I were to ask uh, Joey Andrews, like I've asked other candidates, at the end of the, your first term, what are you going to say is a fulfillment of your promise? I mean, which, which, which is your, I think you've already talked about the educational aspect. Is that what you would say? I, I can call you back and say, hey, Joey, um, what did you do for jobs, creation of uh, trade programs? What is it? Okay. Yeah, I think um, I think that you know, if at the end of this first term, I'd like to be able to say that um, we've made uh, some significant progress towards building uh, these CTE programs and uh, getting kids, you know, access. Uh, I don't think that two years is enough time to see. Um, the the fruits of that labor, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but hopefully we can at least say you know we've increased the budget, we've we've created some new programs, things are moving, um, and I, I'd also like to be able to say that we had found a solution um, to this issue with the short term rentals, and um, you know maybe found some kind of compromise that keeps our communities here safe while you know not completely killing the industry. Um, and maybe we're making some progress on the affordable housing issue locally. But I think, um, you know, finding a solution to that short-term rental issue and starting to get motion on trades programs and schools would be two things that I really hope um, in two years' time, if we have this conversation again, I can say, mm -hmm. yeah, we, uh, we got some stuff done. Good. Now, there's a couple of issues which you haven't mentioned, but they're out there in every poll that I've seen, and I'd just like to get your views on them. The two issues that are, uh, are also out there are crime and inflation. And sure. tell me about what your thoughts are there. Uh, yeah, I, I hear inflation quite a lot when we're out knocking the doors. And, you know, what I tell everybody uh, that brings this issue up to me is that, you know, I'm feeling it too. You know, I, um, we've noticed that our budget this year just personally is significantly more on essentials than it has been in years past. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I would like to hope that the state government can take some steps to provide some relief uh, while 
the federal government figures out how to tackle this problem. Uh, so we're proposing, you know, let's let's repeal the retirement tax on pensions, give a, give a break to people on fixed incomes, uh, expand the earned income tax credit so that, you know, people who aren't making as much money have some avenue to recoup a little bit. And, you know, we've got a surplus coming in from sales tax now with prices being higher. Um, can we find a way to put that surplus to use uh, that provides some short-term relief for everybody uh, while this, you know, what I feel will be a transitory inflationary cycle works its way out? There's, there's only so much we can do on the state level, but, you know, we have to make it a priority because, I mean, everybody is feeling the, the pinch on that. Mm -hmm. how, about, how about the crime issue? Yeah, and that one, that one is also um, a tough one for us here because, uh, you know, we talk to residents in the city of Baton Harbor and they'll tell you that crime is a real problem for them and they need help. And I think we need to do more to engage with uh, our police departments and our public service organizations, our public safety organizations locally and figure out how we can rebuild trust in communities like that and also help them uh, find the way forward. I've talked to a couple uh, state troopers locally who've told me that they're undermanned and you know they don't have the, uh, the resources uh, to find people to get into their industry, which you know kind of mirrors a lot of what we hear from the trades. But uh, you know, the police officers are feeling overstretched. Um, that leads to a whole other series of problems too. And so, you know, what what can we do as a state to engage with our public safety departments and help them, you know, create a, a better system where people want to get into that line of work again and also our communities, you know, have trust with their public safety departments. Because uh, when that trust is broken, it creates its own set of issues. You know, if people aren't willing to report crimes or if they're not willing to share information with law enforcement, solving crimes gets harder. So there's, I think there's a, a, you know, a shared interest here in finding ways to resolve some of these conflicts. And, you know, I, I'm hoping we can engage in that dialogue. I've already had a little bit of it. And I think there's a willingness to communicate. We just, you know, it doesn't help when law enforcement becomes sort of this like national polarized issue, uh, makes everybody feel defensive. And that's really not a great place to be. No, it's not. It's, it's uh, having been in law enforcement as a prosecutor uh, at the federal and the state level, the county level, um, it is it is cyclical. I will tell you that I've seen this going on for for all the time, the fifty years that I've been involved in, 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 the, in the practice of law. But it is significant, and the, the um, cops who uh, who are trying to do a good job and and are understaffed, uh, still they get nailed for. Uh, bad publicity the, for the actions of bad officers or negligent officers. Somebody's got to straighten that out. It's and it, it's a responsibility of each generation. It's not. It's not something that gets takes care of itself. At any rate, Joey, thank you very much. I appreciate your time. Unfortunately, we're out of time. I wish you luck, as I do to every candidate. I wish you luck. I. I presume that you have seen your psychiatrist that will tell you why you're doing this uh, is a good thing. Everybody does, or at least they wish they did before they got <laughs> into it. Anyway, Joey Angelo is the candidate for the Democratic Party for the 38th uh, State House District in the state of Michigan. Quickly, Joseph, uh, Joey, if you can tell me, what is the 38th District? 
So the 38th House District is the newly drawn Lakeshore District that runs from Saugatuck in the north down through South Haven, St. Joseph Benton Harbor, Bridgman, and New Buffalo. It's about an hour and a half north to south and about 15 minutes across. Um, but some of the most beautiful territory in the state, in my opinion. This is true. All right. Thank you very much, Joey Andros. As I say, uh, we wish you the best um, in, in every endeavor you, you get, get involved in. This is, John so this is John Smetanka, and we move on to our next guest. But remember, if you show respect to other people, they will show respect to you. This is John Smetanka, and as we have said, this is the, the name of the program is With Respect, and today we're going to be dealing with the race, the political race for representative, the State House of Representatives from the 38th District, and we have today the uh, Republican candidate for that office, Kevin Whiteford. That's right, Kevin Whiteford, yes. With Respect. Yes, hi, this is Kevin Whiteford. Kevin, how are um, you doing? I'm doing really well today. Good, tell Very me. Very nice uh, Saturday morning. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's a great thing to get out in the public and, and, and chat with people, on a, on a, especially on a beautiful, beautiful day. Mm -hmm. Tell me about yourself. Where are you from originally? Well, <clears throat> you know, my childhood years were... Um, mainly in the south side of Chicago. Um, <clears throat> uh, my dad was a bricklayer for a good part of his life. Uh, <clears throat> I am one of five, um, so we lived uh, a decent amount of our time in a three-bedroom, uh, one-bath house that he made as a bricklayer. Yeah. Um, and so he worked, his, he worked, he worked very hard. Um, I could say this, my work ethic definitely came from him. I, I worked extremely hard my entire life, uh, and actually, I don't think I know another way. Um, <clears throat> so my childhood years, um, you know, I, I grew up uh, going to a very big high school. Uh, I went to college, got an accounting degree, my CPA certificate, met my wife that I have going on today. Uh, so we've been together for 38 years. Um, <clears throat> you know, I went on after getting out of school in 1986. Um, really working hard. Uh, I worked 110 hour weeks for about 11 years. Uh, and it was in 1997 that my wife said, my gosh, I mean, when is this going to get, you know, when are you going to slow down and not work as hard? Um, and, uh, that's when I started creating my own business in 1997, you know, the backup, you know, the first, uh, <clears throat> six years of my life, I worked for big accounting firms out of Chicago. Uh, that's why I did work 110 hour weeks for many years. And then uh, I got a tax job to run the tax department of a half a billion dollar company in 50 states and 33 countries. Um, that was run by the CEO was uh, a big accounting firm uh, um, experienced person who saw somebody who might have to might get that work ethic and uh, take that manufacturer 
to a different T. So basically I worked another 110 hour weeks for the five years uh, with that firm. But, you know, one of the things I tell kids when I talk about my career and how do it, how do you get to places and how do you get this much experience? Well, I'm not an advocate for anybody working 110 hour weeks. But one of the cool things is you can't take away the experience I've gotten over my entire life period. Um, you know, when you work 110 hour weeks, uh, you're basically working three jobs, uh, you know, um, so you're gonna get a lot of experience. And uh, when somebody gets experience in anything, you can't take that away. Yeah. Uh, I earned my, yep, I earned my CPA certificate. Um, you know, and I, I, like I said, I got my accounting degree. You know, when I started my first firm, it was in 1997. It was a tax practice. Cause I, you know, again, I took my tax experience to back up just a bit, I, I actually taught federal and state tax law at a major university in their master's program. And the reason I was selected to do that at the age of 28 is I was pretty well respected internationally in tax law uh, at the age of 28, 28. You don't get that respect unless you earn it. <laughs> yeah. Um, Which, what so university did you teach at? I taught in the master's program at DePaul University in Chicago. Sure. Um, I was the, at the time I was the only non attorney to ever teach federal tax law. Um, so I'm not an attorney. Um, I just have a master's in tax law. Um, and, um, so I did that for four years. <laughs> um, you know, when you do that and work at the same time, it's, it's, it makes your life a little busier. <laughs> um, so when I started my firm in 97, that was the tax practice. In 1999, I started the financial investment practice. And in 2000, I, I started Whiteford Properties. Um, right now, the, the biggest pieces are Whiteford Financial, which is the uh, financial investment firm, and Whiteford Properties. Fortunately for me at this point, my oldest has been in the businesses for about 10 years. He runs and operates a majority of the real estate side of the businesses. Um, my youngest son and his wife uh, help uh, tremendously run and operate the financial investment practice. Uh, he has a financial uh, uh, investment, uh, financial um, uh, degree from uh, Grand Valley. Um, the tax practice is run by some other people. Um, so we have a nephew in the business who lives in St. Joe. Uh, we have other friends that are helping run and operate the businesses. So it's been a really cool um, period of time of my life where I have family members who not only want to work with their father, but really assist them and, and take it to a, an incredible uh, point that we're at today. The financial investment practices, uh, we serve people in 27 states. The real estate company has many holdings in in uh, Allegan County, Van Buren County, and Berrien County. We have a very large uh, business uh, development going on in Berrien County, which will take at least the next three years. Um, and I'll tell you what I like to do. Um, I like to change um, areas and properties so that they make a better community. For example, in Berrien County, we got a project going on where we eliminated uh, a major section of drug trafficking. Um, and if you talk to anybody in the Berrien County Sheriff's Department, they'll say <laughs> they got rid of it. 
Um, and so uh, we cleaned it up and got out and got rid of it and developed um, some housing for um, some affordable housing uh, situations. So, um, so th those are some of the things that we like to do. Um, and that kind of gives you a background of where I'm at. Sure. Um, you know, I was, I was in the DDA in South Haven for six years. I, I turned out and said that I wanted to, to um, just focus on the state race. Um, and so I stopped doing that this year. Um, and so I have never run for an elected office. Um, so this is my first attempt. Why, so, so I do, I, why are you doing it? That's the, that's the the next question I've got is, uh, by the way, what um, part what part of the South Side did you grow up on? Because that's where I um, lived. I grew, I grew up in and I went to school. The high school I went to was Homer Flossmore High School. Oh yeah. I grew up I grew up in a very small section of that uh, district called Glenwood, Illinois. Yeah. Um, so it was uh, an area of Homer Flossmore that was not. Homewood or Flossmore. <laughs> and so um, you were kind of the sore thumb of the high school, right? Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So, uh, so it anyway, was interesting to say the least. So, okay. Why, why run for office? I mean, you, it sounds like you've had enough to do in your life. And I, I was going to ask you what your hobbies were, but obviously that's not a good question because you didn't have any time for hobbies, perhaps except yeah. breathing and eating. So well, why are you running for office? You know, the hobby thing, I can tell you, I love basketball. Okay. You know, I, I, I played basketball at the university that I got my accounting degree at. Um, and what was fortunate is that, well, to go back, the high school team I played for was nationally ranked. Um, 11 out of 15 went Division I. Um, and when I went to college, we had one of the best college teams in the nation. So it was actually kind of cool. So I did get a four-year degree. And also play basketball at the same time. So it's not an easy thing to do. Good for you. Um, and uh, and it wasn't an accounting degree at that too, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, um, so why do I want to do this? I want to do this because I want a better future uh, for my kids and grandkids. I have four grandkids right now. And I hope to double that and triple that, I hope, in the near future. All of my kids and their spouses and their friends... You know, my kids have brought in 39 different friends from out of state into the South Haven area to help us run and operate the businesses. I want to make sure that businesses not only um, are left alone and, and get maintained a, and are allowed to function, but I also want to grow it. I want businesses to grow here so that the jobs are so plentiful for not, you know, for everybody's kids and grandkids so that the kids and grandkids want to stay here. Not, you know, this is not only the most beautiful part of our state, in my opinion. It's got to be one of the most beautiful parts of the country. Uh, you know, we have an incredible Lake, uh, Lake Michigan and, and, and just the various lakes all around us that it's just uh, basically heaven, in my opinion. So we got to make it so that these kids and grandkids want to stay here and they flourish. And my opinion is if they work hard, they should be able to be allowed to spend and take care of their families and their friends the way they want to, because they earned it and they worked hard to do that. Um, so I'm, I'm more about, uh, you know, um, you should be able to, um, if you work hard, you should be rewarded for that. So 
What are the uh, the issues that you think are the most important uh, on a on a state level? Because this you're talking about uh, time that you spent in in accounting in other states and uh, and in uh, business in Michigan. Now the question is, you're taking a step if you're elected to the uh, state house and you look statewide. What are the issues that you see are important? Um, one of them is business, business growth. That's number one. You know, with business growth, you need affordable housing. I've worked on this for years, um, and, and I think I have the solution. We, it, you could go up and down the lakeshore, and you will find that uh, in order to build a house, you may have to, you may have a permit fee of 7,500 bucks just to get an application to build a house. You may have an application fee, believe it or not, in my district, that is $22,500. How in the world are you going to build a $150,000 affordable house at a $22,500 application fee? The bottom line is we need to figure out not only how to bring businesses here, but we have to be, uh, we have to plan and understand how to build around that to allow affordable housing to occur on a private level. We don't need federal government to get involved in this or the state government to get involved in affordable housing. It can be done. And I have numbers and I have some proof behind that that I can show anyone to figure out how to make this happen. And that's something that I wanna do when I become a legislator. We need to figure out how to get businesses here. The other thing I think is important, in, in the last fiscal year, we raised um, an, an additional close to 400 to 500 million dollars in taxes with regards to marijuana and gambling taxes. I would have made it a priority to lower the income tax or at least eliminate the income tax associated with retirement income on, on senior citizens. If, if we had a raise in taxes that was unexpected, that is going to occur on a yearly basis, we should look at the other taxes that are being assessed against the residents of this great state that can be reduced. And one of them I believe is easy and that's the senior citizen tax on their retirement. So I will be looking at that um, across the board. Um, we need people that know how to run a business, know how to run numbers, understand income taxes, understand the impact that it has on individuals and that's where I'm going to come into play. All right. Well, listen, we've enjoyed this. Now, I'm going to take a break right now. Uh, we're going to come back and talk about some more issues that are floating around in this state, and uh, uh, we'll go from there. This is John Smetanka on With Respect, and we're talking to the Republican candidate for the 38th State House District in the state of Michigan. His name is Kevin Whiteford, and we'll be right back.
We're now back on With Respect with Kevin Whiteford, the candidate for the Republican Party for the 38th uh, State House District for the state of Michigan. And we've been talking about uh, issues, about his background, and about issues that he thinks are important. Uh, this is John Smetanka. So, Kevin, we, got, we talked about affordable housing. We talked about stimulating business. What else do you think is out there that um, there's all kinds of issues, the environment and labor and, and education and, and all that kinds of other things? What, mm-hmm. is, what else strikes you as important? Well, <clears throat> the other important item that goes along with um, business and residential development and uh, bringing people here and bringing businesses here goes hand in hand, and that is going to be safety. Uh, we need to have safe communities to live in. I was blown away by the fact that we have people that are running for office that want to defund the police. We need to fund the police and not only fund them, but we got to make sure that the equipment they have is protective enough to, to allow them to be safe enough in order for them to go home to their families. But let's, let's get back up. We need safe communities all the time so that we don't have to worry about walking down the street, having our kids walk down the street, having our kids into schools. Um, We don't want to worry about our businesses having trouble uh, being broken into or um, or having any kind of vandalism whatsoever. You know, um, I'm just uh, blown away that those are topics that are being talked about now in West Michigan. Um, and I think it's just sad. It actually makes me sick. Um, we can't, we cannot allow uh, our law enforcement to be underfunded. Um, we have to allow them to uh, supply them the funds that they need in order to make our community safe, period. We want people that want to stay here, but we also want people from out of state to say, hey, Michigan, and in particular, the District 38, West Michigan, is the place I want to live and have my family thrive. That's what we need. And I'm going to try to make sure that happens, by the way. So that's number two in my priority list. Okay. Um, yeah. Um, education, boy, that's a tough one. I think it's a great one. You know, people say, I'm, you know, are Republicans for education? We are, absolutely. Let's face it, I am. Um, I have an accounting degree, a CPA certificate. <laughs> my kids all have college degrees. One of them has a JD. Um, They all have uh, aspirations to get uh, additional education. So uh, it's pretty obvious I believe in education. Um, After knocking on almost 18,000 doors in my district, personally, myself, my team did uh, close to 30,000. My opinion is, well, I've talked to hundreds of teachers, by the way. Um, I'm pretty happy about uh, a couple things. I totally agree with some of the, most of the comments that they make, and two of the biggest ones they make are, one, they want to teach the child. I agree with that. What that means to me and what that means to them is, you know, if a kid, if a third grader is in fifth grade math level and he's in a first grade English level, we need to figure out how to teach the kid at those levels. We can't have a systematic system that teaches everybody the same because all these kids are not at the same level. So there's that. The second thing is our teachers here in the 38 district for sure are well-educated. I think they have to be respected for the degrees that they have and the education background that they have. 
and they need to work based on that along with the parents, the parents' involvement with regards to what's going on at the schools. And somehow we got to figure out how to get government away from dictating how they teach and how they run things. And, and John, I have no idea how you do that um, because uh, we've allowed government to basically be entrenched in our school system for decades. Um, that's not going to be an easy thing to unwind. Sure, it is. It's very difficult. It, 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 it uh, has stood as an issue for every all of the time that I've been in Michigan and just 50 years plus. So, all right. What if what can we say that that uh, uh, Kevin Whiteford is going to do the first day he gets in office? What is the first piece of of uh, legislation he wants to to pe- put his uh, his focus on? What's it going to be? A good question, um, and you have to answer it with what are you going to do before you even get to that point. And the reason you got to say that is, you know, with my college experience and with me running businesses. You know, when you run many businesses and you run all kinds of different things, you cannot be doing all the work. You need a team. We need to team everyone together who wants to be part of that team. And what I mean by that is if you want to be radical far enough on the right or far enough on the left and you don't want to be uh, do anything with regards to the team but uh, cause disruption, then get out. <laughs> we need to figure out what team members want to be a team in order to get legislation done that benefits people on both sides of the fence. That's my opinion. Um, So we need to figure out how to create teams and people that wanna work together. And so, um, you know, and I'm not saying that you need to compromise anything in any of your values. We just have to figure out how to make things happen so that the people of this state and hopefully our district uh, get some benefits out of it as opposed to being stalemated based on all the crap that's going on now. Well, um, yeah, as far yeah. as my goals, that's going to be income tax. This to give you that. I mean, sure. the senior citizen tax on uh, their retirement, that should be just easy. Um, that, you know, I, I believe I'd like to figure out what that number is. And that's something I'm going to figure out real quick uh, when I get in and say, what what exactly do we make from the retirement money that senior citizens pay? And let's figure out how to get rid of it uh, through some other source of revenue that we didn't count on in the past, that is that exists today, and figure that out. So that's going to be number one. It's going to be income tax. We have to figure out how to lessen our burden on the income tax so that um, um, the individual person in our state can um, live better, I guess. Mm-hmm. Okay. You talked about education and, and getting your arms around that. Uh, you have a you and your family have a, a wide range and deep uh, commitment to education. How do we get to the problem that there are kids who are not college interested, uh, that they have interests mm-hmm. that are that are, do not require uh, a college degree, and taking that time out of their their lives, the four years or the six years or whatever. How do we get them interested in something that they really can make a difference in? Oh, I think we, that's a great question. Uh, By the way, I believe in that 100%. We need to figure out how to get that back into the lower grades, not just in high school. We need to get that back into the sixth, seventh, and eighth grade level where they got shop, art, um, they got mechanics. um, They've got these 
uh, building concept classes. I do think we got to get the trades back into schools, period. And I think it has to be at a younger level. It's not just high school. And we have to get it down below that. My dad was a bricklayer. My wife's father was a boilermaker, period. We need builders. We need tradesmen. And we and let's face it, I mean, you're bringing it up. There are kids who really love to do that. And we need to allow them to flourish in that part of our society. Um, just because they don't have a college degree doesn't mean they, ha they don't have training. They have to go through trade school and they have to do this and that. And let's face it, just like any um, career, by the way, guys, you know, I'm an accountant. You can get an accounting degree at a university. That doesn't mean you're a good accountant. You don't become a good accountant until you actually do the work. That's what tradespeople say. You're not going to know how to build a house until you've built some. You could go through trade school uh, training, which you need to do, but you also have to build some homes. Oh, I think we the high school should be building homes for the community. And somebody should figure out how to supply the, the supplies for them to do that so that that's another way to build affordable housing, by the way. Um, <clears throat> you can have different schools building smaller homes that get uh, utilized within the community that they're in. Um, I've seen that happen on a national level and it works. It's very um, beneficial to not only the community, but it's beneficial very much so to the school system. Um, <clears throat> so I am very much in favor of trade schools being developed at a lower level, not just in high school. Um, and if kids wanna leave high school to go to a trade school uh, during parts of their day, let's figure out how to make that happen. So I'm 100% I'm behind that. Well, what, there are a couple of other issues that are getting a lot of attention um, in specifics. Uh, you could talk about the pipeline, uh, pipeline five uh, up north, but also you've got uh, abortion is an issue. You've got uh, the environment is an issue. These are generic things. And uh, do you have any thoughts on those issues? Yes. First of all, just like anything, first of all, I visited, I don't know how many farms. We haven't even talked about that. You can't figure out what to do unless you actually physically go and see something. I have physically seen line five, <laughs> both on the, uh, both sides of the water, by the way. Um, because you don't understand something unless you actually go and see it. We need line five, period. And when we build that tunnel, we got to build a tunnel that is going to exist for the next 50 to 75 years, which means what? Well, we need to run whatever we want to run through it now, but also what we probably will do in the next 20, 25 years, which will be fiber optics and all kinds of things. Everybody who is entwined with business and in this economy and in this world wants a cleaner air economy and they care about Lake Michigan. You know, we live on Lake Michigan, so we care about it for sure. I have kids and I have grandkids. They constantly are talking about recycling and all these other things. We, we inevitably then care about the future. What's happening is you cannot crush and close down society because you have an agenda that you want electric cars today when we're not even ready to have electric cars today. Hey, I'm all for getting electric cars and I believe it's gonna happen in the next 25, 30 years. And we need to plan for that. But you don't shut down oil pipelines and everything else and um, gas 
production uh, and oil production in certain parts of our country. If we open up the pipeline in Alaska, you get 2 million barrels a day of oil that we could easily fix a crisis that we have going on in our country right now this second. That's crazy. For us to be in the problems that we have today because they're governmentally created, in my opinion, is sad, is just sinful and sad. We have jobs out in Alaska. We got jobs in Texas that can be, that can happen. And guess what? Over time, they may get diminished, but not today. They don't have to be done today. I think it's sad that a long-term agenda has ruined, in my opinion, parts of this country overnight because they don't understand that when you turn things off, the consequences are detrimental to every family in Michigan. Nobody could afford the gas prices and food prices. This is crazy what has happened. I think it's sad that, you know, I've seen, I fill up my car that I'm sitting in right now. It has 36 gallons. You know, when I fill it up with 25 to 30 gallons, you know, I'm paying 150 bucks. The average person can't afford this. It's terrible. So it's sad. You know, I've had nieces and nephews because I have a lot of them. I've got friends that will go, you know, Mr. Whiteford, I, I need some money to just, I can't afford something. You know, for somebody to afford a mortgage, housing uh, uh, costs, utilities, gas, uh, and food, oh, it's crazy. Um, you know, to go buy turkey, we all know this. You go to the grocery store, turkey today is about three to four times more than it was a couple of years ago. That did not have to happen. That's not because Tyson Foods or anybody else got greedy. It's because we got a government that shut things down and that should not have happened. And, it, and you, you shut down the supply chains, it's terrible. So anyways. That's my get-go on that. <laughs> well, that's, uh, that's a whole number of issues that you've covered. I, my last question, we only have a minute or so for this answer. How do we know that you're accountable when at the end of your term, whatever it's, whether it's one or two or three terms, how do we, how do we judge you? Well, I can tell you this. Um, anybody who has ever dealt with me in my entire life, and I'm 57, going to be 58 years old, they could they could say, man, this guy, whenever he said he was going to do something, he did it. Um, you know, I will, I will make things happen. I will work with people as long as they become workable. Um, and so I think you're going to see uh, the results that you will see with me. I feel that we will have uh, people working on both sides of the aisle to try to make things happen um, for the people. Um, I just think, you know, somebody asked me the other day a survey. They said, hey, um, what are you going to do long-term in politics? And I told him, I said, that's a great question to ask all politicians. But the answer should be, you should be in politics for a very short period of time to solve long-term policy issues. All right. And I, thank I'm, you. I'm sorry we're out of time, but I've enjoyed uh, talking to you. And I wish you, as I do all candidates for public office, uh, the best in your life and uh, the best result that you can uh, uh, can give for the people of the state of Michigan. Thanks very much. And remember our motto, if you show respect to other people, they will show respect to you. Thanks, John.